my next guest, been a friend for a long time and is one of the more respected minds in the country when it comes to the economy, the stock market, politically as well. Very, very astute. And uh, he's back again, making his third visit, I think, in the last four or five weeks. My friend Anthony Scaramucci. Good morning, Mooch. How are you, pal? Hey, say good morning. You sound like my mom. It's a big send-up. Thank you. My, mo- <laughs> my, my, my mom wrote that introduction, so she, and you read it exactly the way she wrote it, so thanks. Dude. Your mother does love you. I do know that for a fact, and uh, so do I. Thank you for coming back today. I want to start before we get to Sam Bankman-Fried. I was watching uh, our mutual friend Maria Bartiromo this morning, and she was talking about the national debt, the President Joe Biden claiming very recently that he cut the national debt by $1.7 trillion, yet everything else I've read said he added $3.7 trillion, $3.7 to the national debt. Yeah. So the question is, who's right? And if he's lying, does he think we're stupid? Well, I mean, there's a famous cliche, right? There are There are lies, there are damn lies, and then there are statistics. And so he's putting out statistics that show that the deficit is down, but he's leaving out the big fact that the reason it's down is that we were boosting the economy during COVID to the tune of that $1.7 trillion. So we don't need to do that anymore because the economy is more or less open. So he's taking credit for that. So, you know, this is a bipartisan indictment, by the way, because he's on pace for Donald Trump's deficits. You know, Donald Trump printed $7.4 trillion of deficits in four years. Uh, Mr. Biden, in two years, printed $3.7 trillion. So he's, he's tracking what the Trump administration did. And I think this is an indictment of both parties, frankly. And I just want to remind your viewers and, you know, your, your listeners the following facts. Okay, we, we went from George Washington to George Bush, $7 trillion. We went from Barack Obama through Donald Trump into Joe Biden, $24 trillion, and we're now at $31, $32 trillion. So uh, if anybody isn't concerned about that, they need to start being concerned about that. You can't go the first 200-plus years, $7 trillion, and then you rack up in the last 14, $24 trillion. So Joe Biden is wrong about that. And the deficit spending is outrageous, but it, it was also outrageous during the Trump administration. And so these guys have become reckless and they they've decided, well, you know what, we can print the money. Um, and, and, and Sid, you and I grew up with blue collar families. OK, when you print the money, you lower the living standards of the middle and lower class. OK, the, the people have the money. No problem. They own the assets. The assets will go up in the nominal dollars. Calvin Klein bought his beachfront house in 1987 for 3.7 million. He sold it like a year and a half ago for 86 million. If you have assets, it'll track the nominal dollars. But if you're working with your time and your energy for your labor, like my dad did, okay, you're getting an hourly wage. You're stealing that money from people when you do this sort of stuff. You know, you devalue the money. And so Joe Biden is at fault, but so are the Republicans. Fair enough. Sam Bankman-Fried arrested in the Bahamas a couple of days ago. You were on about two weeks ago when the, the story first broke of FTX and all these people losing a lot of money, lots of big-name celebrities, big-name celebrities that took a bath with this, too. But 
My real worry, Anthony, is not about, like you just talked about, those rich guys. I worry about those blue-collar Main Street guys, those guys that work 9 to 5 every day and make about $50,000. And I asked the same question to Ron and Santa. I asked the same question to our mutual friend, Jason Trenert, and that is this Sam Bankman-Fried story, how does that affect or does it affect the everyday guy in America? Well, I think the good news, and I don't know what Jason said, but uh, most of this crime happened off the shore of the United States. If you look at this man's business, um, his business was primarily off the shore of the U.S. That's why he was based in the Bahamas. He did have U.S. accounts at FTX U.S. It turned out because of the regulatory standards inside the United States, uh, those accounts were actually matched one-to-one, meaning he didn't thieve or steal that money. Now, those accounts, unfortunately, have been frozen inside the bankruptcy. Um, But I would imagine, you know, my old boss, who's 72 years old, used to run compliance at Goldman, looked at this. He thinks that the U.S. investors at FTX will get the money back. Unfortunately, it'll take several years like MF Global. The FTX International is a totally different story. I think those accounts are at a zero. I don't know where that money is. I don't want to say things that I, you know, make allegations that I don't know is true. Uh, But I think I told you this, Sid, you know, he made an investment in my company, Sam Bankman-Fried. And when I found out about this, I flew to the Bahamas on November the 8th. I met with him and his dad. I met with his compliance people. uh, And it became very clear that they violated the terms of service for FTX International. And they moved billions of dollars from customer accounts into Sam's personal account known as Alameda. Okay, so that is a high crime. Uh, He is innocent until proven guilty, of course. But if you're asking me a point-blank question, based on my knowledge, based on my information, direct non-hearsay information, he did something very, very long, very, very wrong, and he's going to be in jail for a very long time. Okay, so he doesn't so, own... I don't, he, I don't he, think but, the U.S. investors are going to get hurt here, okay. primarily because of U.S. regulators, uh, which I want to applaud, actually. But he doesn't own, then at no point did he own any part of Skybridge. You never got that far. No, he does. No, no, no. The bankruptcy court owns 30% of Skybridge. The good news is... Um, he wanted to buy the whole thing, uh, Sid. The good news is I told him, look, I'm 58 years old. I can't sell the whole thing to you, and I have to take cash for the business. I'm not going to take your stock. Uh, and so he paid cash for 30% of my company. Uh, we're now working with the bankruptcy authorities and the you know the bankruptcy administrator to buy that back. Um, but listen, you know, I, I did due diligence on him alongside of other people. The good news is he gave me money. I didn't give him the money like some of these other investors, unfortunately, lost their money. Um, but, but, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll resolve it. Uh, but I'm one of probably 50 investments that he made over the last three years. Got it. Anthony Scaramucci joining us on this Friday morning. Really, really good with this stuff. I mean, I got to say the best probably in the country when it comes to all this, if not the world. Um, you know, we've seen so many of these schemes over the years, Bernie Madoff, of course, comes to mind. But you've got Elizabeth Holmes, that uh, scandal, not that old. Now you've got Sam Bankman-Fried. I'm always shocked, Anthony. I'm shocked that people get swindled by, by guys like this. I mean, it's not like this is a new thing. It's been going on forever. I'm going to make a movie about a guy named Tito DeAngelis. This is back in 1963 when Kennedy got assassinated, when he was stealing millions and almost bankrupted the whole stock market in one day. How do smart people, how do banks and smart people get fooled by these guys all the time? 
Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something that uh, I think most Americans understand, and this is p- perhaps the greatness of this culture and the country. Uh, we are, by and large, a culture of risk takers, uh, and every American has an immigration story where a family member, perhaps themselves, came here taking risk. And so, unfortunately, when you are taking risk, whether it's venture capital, moving some money into the cryptocurrency markets because it's a new technology – uh, there's always an induction of some fraudsters. Uh, you may remember Jay Gould manufacturing. If you remember your 11th grade American history, he was manufacturing bonds that yep. didn't exist yep. and selling them on the rails, and he went to jail for a very long time. And so we had the robber barons uh, in the railroads. We had incidents as the telephone uh, industry was growing. You may remember the Internet dot bomb crisis in the year 2000. There was a tremendous amount of fraud with a lot of those dot-com companies. You have Theranos, you have Bernie Madoff, now you have Sam Bankman-Fried. But if you tie a thread through all these people, including the gentleman that you just mentioned, what typically happens is Americans are risk-takers. They do buy into stories sometimes, uh, and they get caught. But these are the very same Americans that invest in things like Facebook and invest in things like Microsoft. You know, my old boss, Lloyd Blankfein, said to me yesterday, don't feel bad taking the money from the kid he looked like Bill Gates did in 1971. I responded and said, you know, Lloyd, I thought he was the Mark Zuckerberg of crypto. I didn't realize he was the Bernie Madoff of crypto uh, because of the way he was set up. And also remember, you know, his, his mom and dad were university professors at Stanford. One was a compliance law professor. The other was a tax professor. There's a ton of due diligence done on him. But I'm, I'm going to tell your listeners something that they know intuitively. Someone wants to commit a fraud. Uh, they can be very surreptitious about this, and they can do it. Um, but I will tell you, as an entrepreneur, it's not going to deter my risk taking going forward. You don't, you don't grow up in the blue collar family I grew up in, and get to where I am right now, without taking risk and sometimes getting schnookered by people. Uh, my friend Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank fame is uh, dealing with the same problem, a little yep. bit different because yep. he was a paid spokesman there. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, so cryptocurrency overall, like I've got friends who are very wealthy in your league and never touch it, wouldn't go there, wouldn't look at it. No, thank you. No way. What is your recommendation for cryptocurrency for folks moving forward? Well, listen, every, every, everybody has a different view. Obviously, there's a bear market in cryptocurrency now, so that view is overriding others. But I look at this technology. If you and I were in an elevator, we were going down together, I had to explain the blockchain to you. I would say this is a delayering mechanism, Sid. Uh, someday we're going to go into the restaurant, the Hunt and Fish Club, and we're going to pay uh, with our telephones. Uh, I'm going to wire a stable coin of U.S. dollars or a Bitcoin or something to the waiter, and I'm going to bypass American Express and MasterCard or Visa. That's by the way, by the way, I, I do that. I do that right now, Anthony, with Apple Pay. <laughs> you, you, you do, but you're going through a bank, and the banks typically charge fees. Okay, and 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 you have a lot of people that are unbanked, uh, perhaps not here in the United States, but around the world. You know, the the African continent is is, is adopting cryptocurrency as they've lost confidence in the inflation-driven central bank currencies of their own countries. So, so yes, you do, um, but there, there are charges and loads. Uh, ultimately, what blockchain will do, it, it will de-layer the society, and it'll take out intermediaries, middle men and middle women. Uh, that will make for a more efficient and more economically uh, productive and innovative society. So 
Uh, we may not be there today, and there's a lot of boom-bust speculation going on, but I predict over the next five years we'll get there. And I can remember after the dot-com bust in 2000, many of my contemporaries swore off investing in technology. And, man, was that a mistake because 22 years later, Sid, technology investments were arguably the best investments in U.S. economic history. You would have missed Apple Computer, Facebook, Netflix, Google. Uh, if you got burned in the year 2000 uh, on the hot stove of the tech bust, uh, you would have missed some of the greatest opportunities of a generation. So I don't want people to get overly scared uh, by the cyclicality of the economy. I just want them to invest small amounts uh, that won't impair their lifestyle and won't impair uh, their long-term trends as they head towards retirement. But if they have a small amount in this, 1%, 1.5%, I don't think it's going to hurt them. If anything, over long periods of time, if they're patient, they're going to be rewarded. But, Sid, remember this. Everybody's a long-term investor until they have short-term losses. <laughs> the minute they have short-term losses, yep. they get very, very upset, and they want to change their discipline. I learned long ago that I, you have to set things and, and leave them. There's a reason why dead people at Charles Schwab, their accounts do better than the living. They don't look at the accounts every day. The dead people <laughs> have decided that they don't care about the accounts as much as the living. That is brilliant. 60 seconds to go, Anthony. We all know the history of you and President Trump. Don't need to go there again. But he came out yesterday with these NFT trading cards. And I don't care. Even the most staunchest of Donald Trump's supporters had a lamp at this. What were yeah. you thinking? Well, you know, I watched I watch the boys on Amazon Prime, you know, which is a satire. <laughs> and uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's an actor there who I'm friends with. His name is Anthony Starr. He plays Homelander. And I would encourage your listeners to Google him this morning. Google Homelander. Donald Trump stole his cape. From Homelander, of course, Homelander was a proto-fascist ubermensch created by Nazis. And so I don't understand why Donald Trump wants to put that image of himself out there. Uh, it's, it's, it's bizarre. Um, I, I get what he's trying to do because, you know, Mr. Trump, President Trump has always been about, been about attention and money. And so I get it. Uh, but I do think uh, there are better – and I said this to you last time you had me on – there are better messengers – for that movement. Uh, I've been a lifelong Republican. I was at the Army-Navy game uh, last weekend. I love my country, and I, I am a, frankly, conservative Republican. But Donald Trump is the wrong messenger for that movement. They would be well served by a Governor DeSantis, a Governor Haley, perhaps a Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, somebody different, um, a younger, fresher person who can hopefully help bind the country to better find the country together to better, better than Donald Trump. That would be my message to people. Bodito's message to you and to me was amazing interview with Scaramucci. Send him my regards, Bodito. That wasn't a great yeah. conversation, man. You are, you're yeah, great. No, I love, I love Bo. Tell him to bring me back up to Rayo's, okay? Tell him that that's what I said on the air, okay? What's okay. going on with What's going on with my seat at his table? I'm going to get a text in two seconds. <laughs> Tell Anthony to come next Thursday. Actually, not next Thursday. It's his Christmas party the week after. Hey, listen, that was a great conversation, Anthony. Thank you so much. I mean, Always really great. great to be on. Thank you. Thank you. All right, buddy. There he is, Anthony Scaramucci. He explains it pretty well, I think, folks.